0: Hey, and welcome to City Hall Stories. I'm Jack English, and I think local governments have some of the most interesting stories that exist. Almost everything we do on a regular basis is affected by local government decisions, and this provides a massive opportunity for real change if we better understand how it works and how to affect it. I hope the incredible humans you hear from in this podcast inspire you to look closer at your own local government and become a part of the solution. Meredith Reynolds is the special deputy city manager for the iconic city of Long Beach, California. Hand-picked in the middle of COVID to lead a unique team tasked with overseeing the city's recovery, Meredith's role ranges from community engagement, fiscal budgeting, operational management, and more. I specifically enjoyed this conversation not only for the discussion on the timely work being done, but also for Meredith's extremely thoughtful insights into leadership at the top of local government. The good, bad, and ugly Her level of self-awareness and honesty will no doubt shine through to you also. Today, we discuss what exactly COVID recovery entails, how to hear beyond the usual voices at the table, and what's changed in her personal life after being given a shiny new title. Please enjoy my conversation with Meredith Reynolds. So since first reading some of your work through ELGL, I was really impressed by the thoughtfulness and and obvious care you have for the teams that work around you. And I think you provide a great example of moving up an organization by elevating others around you first and foremost. So currently you sit beside some pretty esteemed company at the city of Long Beach, and the city is where we'll start today's conversation. Long Beach is without doubt one of the most famous place names in the country. When I think of it, I think of palm trees and long avenues and golden sunsets. But like anywhere, I'm sure the reality of living and working there is probably a little bit different. So, do you mind beginning the podcast by maybe sharing your perception of Long Beach, both in what makes it special and even in the challenges that it faces?
1: Sure, um, Long Beach is such a great place, um, and I had really no idea about this uh, when I first started uh, my career with the city. Um, you know, you you sort of have these perceptions of it that it has, uh, you know, really strong legacy of hip hop. People know. Uh, that Snoop Dogg is from there, and that's that's sort of all you know on on the surface, you know, aside from maybe palm trees and and sunsets as you describe. But it's such a, a colorful place uh, with a lot of really sh- uh, interesting history, a place where you have some really beautiful and well knit neighborhoods, um, and so many places, uh, many great places across the country uh, can boast similar things, um, but but Long Beach is just kind of one of those places. Um, you hear folks. Uh, who are from Long Beach, they're very proud of Long Beach. They're very proud of the diversity. Um, they're very proud of the, the location. And the, they would never say they're from Los Angeles. They would never say they're from Orange County. They proudly say they're from Long Beach. And, and I'm really proud to say the same. Long Beach is the second largest city in Los Angeles County, uh, just under half a million people. And it, as, from the city's perspective, um, there's a lot of really interesting history from aviation um, to rail uh, we've had, you know, some things that have really shaped our city over the years. Um, so I'm a huge history nerd. So, you know, looking back at like the 1933 earthquake that was uh, really devastating, that led to some of the modern day uh, building codes we have. Um, but our city was rebuilt in Art Deco style, um, and as a result, many films and television shows that are supposed to be filmed in Miami are actually filmed in Long Beach because of the unique architecture. So we have the nation's oldest tattoo parlor. We have the skinniest house. Um, We have a a municipal band that's over 100 years old. So there's a lot of really uh, kind of cool and interesting things that that our city kind of boasts. Um, From the local government perspective, uh, we are what is known as a full service charter city. So we are founded on a charter and we have a variety of operations that no other city or very few other cities have in the combination we have. So we have a port, uh, which is uh, Port of Long Beach, which is the harbor department. We have uh, Long Beach Airport, which is a municipal airport. We have a gas utility. We have oil islands. We have a waste to energy plant. We have the largest municipally operated marina in the United States. You know, so there's sort of uh, an element here that you can come to the and work for the city and have a myriad of different careers across 22 different city departments. Uh, really, in a way, you wouldn't get in another organization. Um, And most notably, I think recently folks have identified why it's really important to have our own health department. Um, So we are one of three cities in California that has our own health department and that's not run by the county. Um, And so we have a lot of uh, kind of local control and decision-making and service that we can provide to our community that no one else really has.
0: I think that's fantastic background and context for today's conversation. Obviously COVID put a, a lot of stressors on all local governments and Long Beach was no doubt. And as a result, bit of an organizational switch up, both for the city and and yourself. Would you mind speaking through your current role? Why it is so unique Uh, and as well as some of the nuances involved with this role, right? So you just mentioned you're working in parks on maybe much more of a directly managerial role. Um, Do you mind sharing how moving into your current role, some of your responsibilities and the way that you've had to, uh, I guess, manage individuals has changed as a result of that?
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of different roles over the years, um, mostly in the areas of community services, parks and recreation, sustainability, uh, you know, and and that sort of nature, which as you're you're right, it's very hands on, you know, you are directly in the place with the community members. And, you know, much of my time has been managing capital projects and planning, uh, you know, parks and open spaces and, and things of that nature. Um, And so moving into my current role um, was is definitely something that, you know, has been a a learning lesson for me. So I am currently the special deputy city manager for recovery for the city of Long Beach. And that was a new position that our city manager created in the spring of 2021. Uh, when our city, uh, along with everyone else across the country, um, identified sort of what the next step uh, was going to be for recovery post-COVID and how we were going to organize ourselves around the influx of federal and potentially state money uh, that we were going to be seeing. Um, So this is very much an internally facing position. It is one of those positions that while I do have a small, awesome team of staff, most of my time is spent kind of coordinating and providing a backbone for large working groups across our city's 22 departments. And really thinking kind of intentionally about how we manage the money, how we roll out programs and services, you know, to a a wide audience of people. Um, Because, you know, we uh, as a city, I I think have done a really great job with COVID testing um, and COVID vaccinations. Um, We have a really high vaccination rate. And and so we have to also think about those, though, who have traditionally been left behind. So we still have people who are starving. We still have people who are at risk of losing their their home or a roof over their head. Um, And so we talk about a lot in these working groups, this concept of collective impact, um, where our programs and services are focused on those most vulnerable And as we roll them out, we roll them out in a concerted way where they are mutually reinforcing one another, Um, because we we see you know kind of the historic effects of equity and systemic racism in our community, and really trying to focus in on how we help uh, those most in need. So one of the things that's interesting uh, also about Long Beach um, is a long time we have sort of been known as this tale of two cities. If you really look at our data and demographics. Um, where we have those who are in West Central and North Long Beach um, who are uh, traditionally communities of color. Um, they have seen a, a series of, of history of disinvestment um, and even very kind of systemic things like policies, uh, like r- uh, redlining and racial restrictive covenants. Um, and those things have, have long-term impacts. Um, and you can see that today in the the folks in our community who Um, Are still at a high risk for uh, COVID or get COVID infections. Um, Those who are skeptical of vaccines, Um, and so we really have to have this concerted effort of recovery of being more than just uh, you know how we bounce back as an economy um, where we because you know equity in our economy is not a zero sum game and we can't recover without uh, bringing those most vulnerable into a place of you know opportunity where they can build generational wealth. Um, where they can participate in a new economy. Um, And so that's been a lot of our focus uh, in how we design programs and how we manage this money um, that has been very uh, kind of intentional, very thoughtful, um, and very much driven by input from our community.
0: And let's dive in a little bit more there regarding that feedback from the community. Obviously, COVID's changed completely the way that governments traditionally interact with their residents. It's also increased... I guess, uh, the requirement to communicate with residents in a lot of ways, especially as Long Beach actually maintains its own health department rather than outsourcing that to the county. What are some of the most high impact ways that you and your team have utilized, have discovered um, to get good, robust, and really ongoing feedback from your community in terms of, for example, how they want resources to be allocated in recovery more in general?
1: I think that some of the ways that, that we've been able to really capture good feedback from the community uh, is when we come from a place of, of sort of listening without preconceived notions of what one might need. And that's really hard to do uh, when you are the subject matter expert, you know, you've gone to school and you've built a career of, of this expertise, and that, that's very valuable, that's very useful, um, but so is the perspective of the community. Um, and so if you come, you know, whether it's through an online, um, you know, Zoom session, listening session, and whether it's, you know, in the community, whether it's a survey, uh, you know, online or in person, you know, there's a variety of, of ways our community, our, our city has reached out to the community um, and have a, really allowed for the community to kind of drive the, the outcome. You know, these are folks who are going to be using our programs and they know what they need. Um, and and they know what would be helpful. Uh, and so kind of matching the uh, city staff expertise as a subject matter expert um, with that really curated approach where we are coming, you know, to the community in places, you know where they are, where we're ready to listen and be open. Um, I feel like those are the the scenarios where we've had um, sort of the best results uh, with our community. Um, and I mentioned collective impact before. I think that's that's been really helpful, where we are able to think about, Um, You know some of our programs in in the the context with the community where we are providing things like free um, uh, laptops and Wi-Fi, but we're also providing you know diapers and formula. Um, We are you know thinking about a universal basic income program that could provide some funding to families. Um, We have you know after-school homework help at our parks department, and when you kind of package all of these things together, they really start to you know, see benefit where the community can, you know, find a little bit of breathing room um, and work either work to level themselves up, whether it's education or a job um, or, a, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, kind of idea um, and find ways for their the services they need for their families, you know, amidst other pandemic related things like, you know, the impacts to mental health. So those are some of the ways, you know, that we have really focused in on, letting the kind of centering the community, and what they feel that they need at any given time, you know, in, uh, you know, kind of our outreach efforts, and how those turn into the programs that then, you know, for recovery that we then roll out. So that's been, you know, something that I know I'm really proud of, um, even though I'm sort of at this level where I'm more managerial, and I'm, I'm really kind of focused in on making sure all of the you know, programs are coming in on time, we're, we're managing our money effectively, and we are um, you know, all kind of marching to uh, that same collective impact drum.
0: So moving away from the city of Long Beach, so to say, and a little bit more personally to yourself, you've long had city managerial maybe aspirations, at least from what I've read and, and have obviously had already a pretty storied career in local government. Has the current experience of moving from kind of a more direct managerial role into one that's much more administrative, changed it all how you see your future in local government?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I grew up in a household where my father was the city manager of my hometown um, and got to really have those conversations around the dinner table and see things from that perspective. And as I, you know, change my, go through my career and change jobs, I've really focused in on these positions that you have a lot of community interaction. And have a lot of, you know, kind of improvements to public spaces, and and programs in those public spaces, like parks and open space. But I think, you know, moving forward, as I'm looking at kind of what comes next, I, this position, you know, has, has allowed me to reflect. Um, and so this position is uh, very intangible. Um, yes, recovery at the end of the day has metrics and criteria built around it, but, you know, it's not sort of a direct thing that I'm doing. And so it's further removed from the community and further removed from, you know, hands-on, you know, tasks and, uh, and assignments. Um, and so really trying to find a way to to connect to the outcome finding that intrinsic motivation, you know, and and still trying to find ways to have some tangible, you know, work that that is motivating. And that is something that, you know, for me, I will look for in in future position. Um, and our we have actually our city has a climate action and adaptation plan. You know, and you look at some of the impacts in that plan, um, and these are long-term things that, you know, if we do a good job, our next generation is what better positioned, not just for climate action, but also for economic recovery. So there's a, there's a quote that talks about, you know, plant a tree under whose shade you don't get to sit. And that's always been very uh, meaningful for me. And I believe in work that does that. Um, I think the other things that I've been thinking about uh, related to kind of the next step and city managerial ambitions is how lonely and isolating it can be at these top levels of the local government leadership. Um, you know, there are, there are folks that I have been, you know, kind of lifelong colleagues and friends with who treat you differently now that you have a, a new position in the city manager's office. You know, some of the traditional tensions between management and employees, you know, is very, very real. You really have to surround yourself with good people. I like to do that with people at all levels of the organization. And some folks see that as when you get elevated to a position, they might treat you differently. You also then, on the flip side, get a whole lot more friends that you didn't necessarily have before. um, That you you sort of question what their motivations are of you know wanting to be close to you and wanting to be close to this work. Um, where, you know, I'm very much the kind of person who kind of takes everyone for face value and believe everyone has good intentions. And that's not always the case. And you have to be a little protective of yourself and your role um, at certain levels. So those are all kind of things that I've been thinking about. And I don't know that my my ambitions or aspirations for city management has changed. Um, I just think I'm probably a different kind of, of employee at that level, spend a lot of waking hours at work, um, and, and with, you know, people that are outside of my family, Um, And I really want to enjoy what I do. And so really trying to cultivate that space where I enjoy what I do so others can enjoy what they do um, and finding a good fit with the values of an organization.
0: Really, really interesting, especially that second last point in terms of the differences that you've noticed around you as a result of simply just getting a a title change effectively. And sticking Mm -hmm. with some of the managerial aspects, because that's something that really interests me. How long did it take you And I'm guessing this came far before uh, you took on your latest role, but how long did it take you into your professional career where you felt like you cracked the code of management in terms of figuring out the balance between being likable, but also being authoritative as well as just being able to navigate the art of, I guess, difficult conversations, which is the primary role of any manager.
1: Yeah, I know. Some days I don't feel like I've ever cracked the code. <laughs> Other days, you feel like you're getting it right. I think about behaving in a way as a manager, as a colleague, in a place that I would like to work. Kind of that that concept of the golden rule. So, you know, if I treat others how I want to be treated, so I set up my structure the way that I would have wanted when I was younger, and and you know, kind of young and and fresh eyed and and eager and earnest. I think about. You know, what would have been helpful to me, you know, with that kind of an attitude in, 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 and willingness to work in local government, what would I would have liked to see what would have been helpful for me, Um, and to the, you know, even to this day, like what still would be helpful for me so that's kind of where I, I base my managerial style on, you know, we do very intentional things. And so we talk about culture and and really do some culture work. What do we do as a unit? How do we do it? How are we accountable to those things that we are supposed to be doing? And very importantly, what do we stand for? And what should we be known for? You know, so if somebody says the Long Beach Office of uh, Recovery, do we want people to be like, oh, they never get back to me? Or, oh, they, you know, they never follow through or they never follow up. You know, are those acceptable things for us to be known for? Do we want to stand for something different? And how, what do the behaviors look like in order to to fulfill that? Um, So I always do a lot of that culture work, you know, with my team and my staff and the places that I've been that have done that culture work uh, over my career, I have felt a very strong tie to and, and, and I'm very loyal to because that culture work has resonated with me. Thinking about a managerial space, sometimes you get employees that are very intrinsically motivated. They just get it. They have a seri- service orientation. Um, you know, they're a lot like you. And other times there are folks who are very different um, and have very different motivations or may have, you know, struggled or are struggling in their career. Um, and and you know, this is where as a manager you you in my perspective should be spending a lot of your time. You know, it takes a lot of pre-planning and a lot of time on developing staff, um, but that's one of your main roles. And so, you know, really wanting to get to a place where you're first focusing on the employee and their objectives and, you know, how they do their work uh, in a in a place and space that's not micromanaging, um, where you never have to get to the point of a difficult conversation. Um, and I don't say that be- in a way uh, from a place of naivety. I-, I understand that there are sometimes going to be those difficult conversations, but there's a lot you can do and a lot you can control and a lot you can lead as a manager to not get there to begin with. Um, so these are things like meaningful onboarding and training, you know, from the very beginning, kind of setting that tone, um, allowing team members to participate in curating the team dynamic. Um, You know, identifying uh, kind of the work program and really being accountable to the outcomes and celebrating that when people are doing a really great job. Thinking about how you set up regular performance check-ins with staff. You know, for me, over the years, I've either had quarterly or tri-annually, depending on the number of staff that have reported to me. And this is just a chance for them to talk through how they're doing on their annual work objectives. And this really feeds into a performance evaluation later. Uh, but this gives them the space to say, like, this is where I'm doing a good job. This is where I think I'm stuck. Um, and being honest about, like, I really dislike this element of my work. Um, or I could really do this better if I had XYZ type of support or training or equipment. You know, being able to give them that space to do that. Um, I know that would have been really important for me throughout my career and really cherished the spaces and places that bosses gave me over the time to do that, you know, this is also, you know, when we get to a place where, you know, employees might not be performing, uh, you know, to their fullest, this is also really a time for self-reflection. So thinking about what are you not doing as a supervisor or manager to provide the support, the guidance, the clear direction, the problem solving or the context so the employee can be successful Um, because behind every poor performing employee is also a poor performing supervisor or manager, um, at least for what I've seen in in my career, uh, in my experience, and so I have to always remember that lesson. And sometimes people are just misaligned with their job. Sometimes their role has expanded to be something they didn't originally sign up for. Um, and so thinking about how they are best, you know, positioned and how they can be successful, or helping them find the thing that is that really speaks to them. And sometimes that means helping them be successful somewhere else whether that's within a different department or different division or a, a different city or a different career entirely. And, and sometimes that, you know, kind of being really honest about that, it's not ever comfortable, but being really honest about that is is helpful, I think, to employees for their kind of sanity and peace of mind and their their career. So, you know, those are some of the things that I spend my time on as a manager. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic at the moment um, because my current position is a finite three-year position. So I've been an at-will employee for a while uh, as a manager, but having this finite window provides a sort of a different pressure for the next step of one's career um, and really making sure that, you know, after the three years, you know, whether I stay with my current city or or find whatever the next door that is open for me, uh, making sure my team is in a really good place to find uh, other positions as well.
0: There's a bit of a trope around the public sector, or local government, that it lacks accountability, right? So, yep, sure, maybe you won't move up if you're not effective at your job, but also you probably won't be let go. Is that actually true? And if at all true, does that affect what effective management looks like, at least maybe compared to the private sector?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting perspective. For me, there's always been a really high level of needed accountability because you you work at the pleasure of city council, and you work for the public and the the money that you are spending often out, outside of sort of grants is taxpayer dollars and and being a good steward of that and being a good representative of local government as a result has always been very important to me and and you know it kind of drives accountability for many there are a lot of processes in local government that are meant for um, you know, fairness and and parity and uh, providing people chances to kind of correct behavior and, and be good performers that, you know, can, in my experience, um, you know, kind of support that concept of people not ever being held accountable or not being let go or fired or, or you know, allowing them to move into something different. And, and that's kind of frustrating, um, you know, working in the local government sector, um, because the very things that are policies and procedures that are meant to protect employees often can lead to, um, you know, this kind of stifling system where people can't, you know, be placed in positions that would be beneficial to them, can't are, are protected uh, from being held accountable. And so it, it's sort of a mixed bag that I've seen um, over my career. And some of these protections are really, you know, employee protections are really important um, and they're kind of fundamental to Public sector versus private sector, but they can uh, and and do, in in all honesty, kind of get in the way of some of this. Sometimes I really think that to f- spend a lot of time on the hiring process as a supervisor or manager, you know, asking the right questions, getting to know the candidates, um, finding people who are mission driven um, and believe in the work uh, is is helpful to get good employees in the industry. And a lot of uh, what I hope my colleagues in local government are doing are supporting kind of that pipeline, uh, whether it's from colleges or universities, higher education institutions, um, whether it's high schools and civics classes, um, you know, really making the connection between the difference one can make in local government and the kind of employee and skills that we're looking for, Um, you know, because our city, for instance, would really love to see more folks from kind of the local area in Long Beach working for our community, uh, because that just makes us a better organization uh, where we have uh, staff who are reflective of the community and come from community, uh, because our outcomes would be better. You know, thinking about how we we as a as employees and, and ambassadors of local government uh, talk about the the industry, the sector, the the kinds of jobs that you can have. Um, you know, I think those are all really important, uh, roles we can play kind of outside of our normal work, um, in our communities and with our professional associations to ensure that we have, you know, good folks who come into the, the profession, um, that really helps with this aspect of accountability. Um, and I also think it comes from, you know, the top comes from leadership, right? So, um, our, our city management team, uh, you know, we are accountable, um, and and behaving in ways where we show that, uh, and, and maybe in a little bit more vulnerable fashion to our organization, you know. So when we're wrong, uh, or when we miscalculated, uh, maybe we're not wrong; we just miscalculated. Acknowledging that, owning that, you know, if we did something, you know, whether it's individually to someone or we we took a misstep, you know, saying we're sorry, saying you know that wasn't our intent. Uh, Here's what we were going for. And, you know, we have to go back to the drawing board. Being willing to take risks, um, calculated risks, that's really hard to do in local government and far more capably done in private sector uh, because everyone expects us. We're under a microscope constantly and many expect us to do things perfectly the first time and perfectly is in the eye of the beholder often. So (laughs) one community member's idea of perfect is the other community member's idea of terrible. Um, and so really being able to think about, uh, you know, being able to take some risks and trying some things, piloting and testing some ideas. And if they don't work, we know what we could, we know how to do the thing we did before. We can always go back to that, but you know, trying to really move the needle on some of this. Um, those are some of the behaviors I think that city leadership can, can show, you know, to be accountable to their staff, to their community and, and, you know, to their council.
0: Amazing. This half hour has gone extremely quickly. So we're already, unfortunately, at our (laughs) traditional closing question. It's pretty simple. Meredith, what is one accepted truth of local government that you think is incorrect?
1: I think I I touched on it just a little bit before, but there's a really difficult aspect of distrust in, in local government. And look, I get it. Government as a whole has done some things over our history that is an industry warrant distrust. There's a healthy distrust even built into how our government was created with things like checks and balances. But this concept that like local government people don't care, that's so, so hard for me. I spend so many hours uh, you know, doing this work and and at the service of others. And, you know, there's a really great uh Leslie No quote from the show Parks and Rec. She says, I care. It's kind of my thing. And I see this every day in the people that I work with. You know, so much of what we do is based on the fact that we care enough to be there. Um, And most have no idea how hard this work is, how isolating this work is, but feel that they can do better than those of us who have gone to school, who have developed expertise, who are informed by community voice. Um, And there's just very little grace extended to local government employees and probably government employees in general. So this concept that, that folks in this industry don't care is really the hardest for me to grapple with. And it is you know, really hurtful you know, internally uh, very viscerally to me when people feel that way because it, it's simply just not accurate.
0: Meredith, really, really enjoyed this episode. Not only do you touch on the importance of equity in COVID recovery, but I think gave a bit of a masterclass on clear and supportive leadership. So appreciate your time this morning <laughs> and wishing sure. you and the city well for the upcoming holidays.
1: Thank you, Jackie, as well. I enjoyed myself. Have a great one.
0: It's me again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn. See you soon.